Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am Adam Pawatic, and with me is Aaron Cameron. Today, we are having a returning guest, and not due to one, two, or three appearances, but uh, I think we've probably lost track at this point, is Peter Altabelli from Yardi, who's been with us a number of times to do post-conference wrap-ups. And the one we are going to discuss today is the Canadian Apartment Investment Conference that just recently happened. Of course, for Aaron and I, that is a highlight in the calendar every year, given our intense focus on that asset class. But first, Peter, welcome back. Adam, thanks very much. Aaron, thanks so much for being welcomed back and uh, happy to join you guys. It's been a little while since we've done one of these and I'm excited about it. This is one of my... uh, CAIC is probably one of the best conferences I've always enjoyed going to since its inception. Uh, so I'm glad we're able to do the wrap up together. Yeah, yeah. And this one, uh, you know, it's worth mentioning it was virtual this year, just as all the conferences have been for uh, the next year and a half. But I did notice there are the date for next year's event is already up and it is listing the convention center as the location. So I think high hopes for 2022 that we'll be doing the wrap up in person at the event as opposed to the virtual medium that we're doing right now. Yeah, I hope so, so. I hope next year we're all back at this. So I can't wait to get back in person with everyone. Yeah, 100%. So anybody who's not familiar with Peter, we have done his background a number of times in the past. But Peter, do you want to do two seconds for anybody who's not fully incentivized to go back and listen to our you know, entire catalog yeah. to, to get up to yeah. speed, maybe do an abridged version? <laughs> not a problem. I'm the Vice President of Yardi's Canadian Operations, located at our offices in Toronto when we get back to them been involved with the real estate technology world since 1989-1990 timeframe and uh, opened up the Yardi office in 1998 and uh, we've grown it from there. Yardi is one of the largest providers of real estate technology around the world and in Canada as well. And um, as I said, I'm happy to join you guys doing the recap on CAIC. And if you want the uh, the longer version, is it is a very interesting story. The very first time we had Peter on, we did probably a 15-minute f- dive into it. So if you are interested, it is a super successful Canadian story. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. And can we just do a real quick, like, what is Yardi? Elevator pitch. Yeah. So Yardi um, is the largest supplier of real estate technology worldwide with very large presence throughout North America. We offer anything from back office ERP solutions to operational software, to e-commerce software, to website software, and everything in between strictly for the real estate markets across all real estate asset classes. The multifamily, commercial, condominium, senior housing would be the big ones. Social housing would be another one as well. And all of these asset classes run on Yardi's applications. Again, full ERP style solutions, full operational solutions, and now moving into buildings and property-based technologies with AI and artificial intelligence. And then amongst all of that, we talk a little bit about research and data and bringing BI data and market data to our clients and in the United States, it's a big offering. And we're now starting to look at what that's going to look like in Canada in the future as well. Thanks, Peter. We're here, obviously, of course, to talk about the uh, Canadian Apartment Investment Conference that Informa just hosts as part of sort of the real estate forums. As always, you know, one of our favorite conferences. Every year they do a tenant survey. And if you want to learn more about the tenant survey, if you happen to be an apartment owner and need more information, I think you can find everything you need to know on Informa's website or just reach out to us and give you more details. But it is really quite interesting. I think they said something like 30,000 tenants responded this year, which is up year over year, which is, I think, a really interesting 
perspective or view into just what apartment tenants are looking for. And there's nothing terribly surprising that came out of this. One of the things that I found really interesting, which was the first time they'd asked this question, of the tenants surveyed, 30% had indicated that they were previous condo or homeowners and had transitioned out of home ownership into rental, which I just thought was really interesting, which is probably, I mean, they didn't splice it up to talk about what the age of those people were that were previous homeowners, but likely those are baby boomers or retirees selling their homes, getting into the rentals for more flexibility of life. But I just found that whole concept, I think they dubbed it sort of the automation of units, but it was really, really interesting, interesting results that they came across. I agree. I thought it was incredibly interesting, but you're a homeowner, especially if you're empty nester, you sell your asset, it's tax-free, you're at the height of real estate, which you probably sold it for considerably more than what you bought it for, especially if you're there for 10 or 15 or 20 plus years living in your home. And now you have the freedom to do what you like. You rent an apartment. What are your responsibilities? You're paying rent every month. And it's much different paying rent every month in terms of much easier paying rent than it is with owning your own home and all the bills that go around owning your own home. And now you have the freedom to do what you like. And eventually things will open up. You've taken advantage of the market. You probably sold really high. You've put that in the bank, tax-free and yourself lifestyle. And I think that's what a lot of people are going for in the rental unit, especially if they're brand new buildings. It's going to be lifestyle. And they're going to want that kind of lifestyle and carefree living. So I think the pandemic sparred that on. And I think people took advantage of it. And I think this is why you're seeing these numbers increase. Well, also on the, on the theme of automation of units, this is a part of real estate that I always get excited about. You know, everything, everything turning into, I always talk about, you know, the Jetsons as the, uh, <laughs> the archetype for where we're headed. Yeah. But all the cool tech. I'm definitely a tech guy. And so seeing it, you know, real estate slowly, lumberingly catching up in that regards you know, is fantastic. And people want that. I mean, that was one of the other big takeaways that people want more of this in their units. And you know, that can be you know, something as simple as central control panels that can do everything in your unit for you. Electric vehicles, obviously, are you know going to be an increasing portion of automobile usage. And so you need to have adaptive use in your garages in order you know, to accommodate that. One trend we're going to talk about a little later on too is is storage and packages, you know, how you're managing the new way that people consume goods, which you know is ever increasingly through e-commerce. Tenant portals to manage complaints. I mean, it's been a while since I lived in an apartment, but I know I think of just leaving voicemails in the property management for you know two months straight before getting a response. You know, I'm glad that those days are hopefully getting pushed into the rear behind us. I think automation at the unit level, automation at the operational level. And automation in your marketing is where it is now and it will continue to be. This conversation that we have to now, if you fast forward five years from now, it'll be a completely different conversation on e-commerce. Right now, we talk about it from the applicant side, from advertising to applying online, to paying your rent online, to communications happening online with the owner of the property, with the property management office, anything from emails to chat communications to just general communications, all done through portals and apps, all the way through to monitoring your unit, turning your lights on, turning them off, that whole suite automation. I think we're seeing it fast forward because of the pandemic. And I think that's what the survey started to show, it being fast forward. I think that that's what people are coming to expect nowadays. Nowadays, especially younger people, this is going to be just part of what living is going to be all about for them. So I do see this going up. I also see it integrating with things like Google Home or Amazon Alexa, right? Where you're going to want to be able to say to an Alexa, What's my outstanding rent or pay my bill or pay my rent or, and all of that voice activation within the suite in terms of handling the suite in terms of the environment of the unit, 
from heating to lighting to cooling to everything else, all the way to communicating with your property owner, well, right? integrating with the, those types of tools. And Peter, that's the most interesting aspect of all this. And I, you're right, we're just not there yet. It just I don't know, I don't see how it yet connects, right? If you're watching the CIC live, the lead-in to Amy Erickson's presentation on the tenant survey was a sort of five or six minute video by uh, Bento Green Oak on their Novus mm-hmm. rental apartment building, which is down in Liberty Village, just on the west side of sort of downtown core Toronto. And they were talking about if you're a tenant there, first thing you do is you download an app. That app allows you to open your fr- unlock your front door, allows you to book available space, work from home space in the Timon yep. areas. The upstairs, there's a rooftop social area that you can book time. There's all sorts of internal amenities that are just come with being a renter, including free access to their gyms and all sorts of stuff. And you use the app to to get access to this stuff. I suspect, and I'm sorry to our BGO friends, I suspect that app doesn't necessarily talk to Google or Alexa. Like I'm pretty sure I can't say, hey Alexa, book me a massage at the spa downstairs, right? Like not but you will there. But it will. But, but it will. you will. But, but you will. will and you will sooner than you think you will. But you will. Because it's already, the tech's already there. I know we have it working with our, our apps, but it's that whole app experience and that whole, I want to do things when I want to do them anywhere I want to do them. And that comes with the lifestyle. And when you have buildings like you saw with that video, and that, it was incredibly impressive. The challenge is going to be is on in-suite stock, older stock, and getting that older stock up to a level in which will attract tenants who want to live with lifestyle and how do you manage that retrofit on that older stock to bring it to that same style level as new builds are going to get to? Because yeah, it's going to get and, very and competitive as the new builds come online. And can you even retrofit that stock? Because it depends right. on the infrastructure, just the way that building's built. And then I think, I mean, interestingly, from financing side of things, what's the delta? What's the difference in rent yeah. that you can charge rent. for that, that new A building versus that sort of older 1960s, 70s building that just can't be retrofitted to match it? Sorry, before we move on to the next point, I would be remiss if I didn't at least acknowledge that that Novus project is proudly financed by First National. <laughs> and, all, and our previous guest, a recent guest of ours, Andrew Drexler, was the individual responsible for working with BGO to get the financing on it. So I think I, we would have gotten a mean email from, or not a mean email, just an email saying, why didn't you mention that we did that project? Um, <laughs> Something obviously BGO and First National worked very, very hard on getting that getting that financing done. Okay, let's keep moving because we've got 20, 25 minutes left and we've got a couple more points to cover. One of the other really interesting topics on that was kind of a front and center was an interview with an old podcast guest by a company called Snaily, Mr. Armstrong, and just the concept of the reception of large parcels at an apartment building. And just how that is an ever ever complicated and challenging process, particularly Peter. If we tie these conversations together, the new guys, the new builds, they're operating in a world where they now understand e-commerce. Yep, you can build it e-commerce. out. The old builds, yep. like what are you going to do? Are you going to are you literally going to just vacate three or four units on the main floor because you need to accommodate these storage facilities? Like I'm not sure that logic. You know, makes sense. I think there's going to be huge challenges, Aaron, on this with the existing rental inventories and properties that are much older and were built at a different time. But I'm, I'm sure there will be innovative companies that come out to be able to accommodate. This is not new. It, these, it's not necessarily a Canadian thing. There's stock that's all over North America like this. And I think that there will be innovative companies that solve for this issue. 
right? Whether or not they're taking portions of underground parking or above ground parking, building secure buildings or some sort of structures that do it. I, you know, in the new build, it'll be built in, but it goes to e-commerce. It goes to a suite automation. It's all combined, right? Where as a tenant, I want to know I'm buying from whatever service I'm buying online and that package is going to be there. And when it's there, I want to be notified. It doesn't require human intervention. It doesn't require property management staff and it can't get in the way of them either. They have to run the property. They have to continue to do their thing. And this whole package delivery, which I think is here to stay pretty much for any foreseeable future that we have to solve for this. And a lot of the owners and managers of older buildings will have to solve for this to some extent. You know, when you're getting 45% of the tenants or the respondents saying they want it and 60% say it's required, I think that that trend is only going to go up. It's only going to go up. Well, that's the key driver, of course, is, uh, you know, tenants will pay for it. Landlord, of course, wants to accommodate. Apartments are not exactly high-yield products. So any opportunity you have to squeeze additional income out of the property, and that can be through the storage locker space where you get additional rent or maybe a separate service, is uh, you know, an opportunity to grow NOI. And of course, uh, you, know, you throw a two and a half cap on it like in Vancouver, and if, you, know, you actually create substantial value through these extra little periphery incomes here. And maybe just we should just, uh, for anybody who's not familiar with us, Nailey, just do a minute on that. This is a company dedicated to just solving this problem just trying to figure out how to get packages through large buildings. The big selling features are, of course, safety or security of the items. You know, it's not just being dropped off with some concierge. You hope it doesn't get stolen. This is, you know, these are actual locking mechanisms. So your packages will be secure because, of course, that is an ongoing issue. Then a lot of buildings now are also focusing on a cold storage too, which is the grocery delivery moves online. Another one that we'll see more and more of. But again, trying to install cold storage units into your building likely causes more retrofit issues. That's probably something that may be better suited to new builds, but we'll see. It'll also be interesting to see 15 years from now when we're trying to solve whatever new techs come along to <laughs> that uh, you know, is being built now yeah. and is now obsolete. Well, it'll be drilled you know, Adam, on the rooftop, right? Yeah. Well, you know what, Aaron and Adam, I, I was just going to conclude with this. My daughter lives in the Mountain View area, very high tech, Silicon Valley in the middle of things. In their apartment, nothing is delivered by hand. Everything is automated including the machine that comes up the path, opens the door, and puts it into the electronic lock. They've got like a, a parcel system. It knows how to open that multiple levels, rises, opens the door, puts the package, locks the door, leaves, and lets them know that their package is delivered. And no human beings touch it, even the car that drove it up to the building. Right now, they're in a big test site area, right? So Mountain View, because of Silicon Valley Central, a lot of those testing facilities are used in that area. So you're testing new automation, that's a place to test it. It is incredible to see this happen. I was there, we were visiting, this is just before the pandemic hit, and you could see this little robot thing fly up a path, open a gate, drive in, open the box, put the package in, close that box, leave, and the phone went off. That's right? COVID friendly. And it's COVID friendly <laughs> too. And it's COVID friendly now as well, right? And this was beforehand. <laughs> So I think you're going to see this. I think they're seeing it in test cases in Silicon Valley area, but this will start to become the norm. I can see that you can't through that. the roof. <laughs> for, our, for our listeners, you can't see Adam, but his eyes are lit up. He's got a big grin from ear to ear. He already just Googled how much it costs to rent an apartment in that neighborhood. He, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I don't so think you bad. want to do that, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> bit of a dramatic way to get exposure. I mean, we'll wait uh, just a minute. I'm sure we'll see it, see it here in Toronto. So maybe I don't have to move. Our third item we wanted to talk about, the big takeaway from the CAIC, is uh, tenant programming and amenity space. I think that 
spending energy on this area of a building was non-existent even 10 years ago. You know, like a discussion around all this really ramped up. And now in particular, now that people are much more looking at renting as a, as a permanent lifestyle, not just a, a means to get through your 20s, that, that you have additional, you know, additional rent put towards it, then of course, you're going to have more of this stuff. I mean, the it, it was broken down for what people want and under the essentials were, and these have to be COVID-driven or influenced, of course, you know, elevator access, balcony or private outdoor space, and abundant natural light. It'd be interesting to see if those would have been uh, on the list in a pre-COVID world, because I feel like all of those are, are more highly valued. Now everybody's been sitting inside, staring at their spouse for the last 18 months. Before you jump in, Peter, let me add some context. I think this is really, really interesting. And this ties back to the, the first topic where it was the, the rental survey. 60% of renters surveyed said that they have no intentions of buying or owning a house or a condo in the future. So 60% basically have indicated they're going to remain renters for their foreseeable future. 20% said they plan on buying or owning in two to five years. So at least 24 months longer being a rental. 17% intend on being an owner at least five years in the future. So if you do the math, right, that's 97% of renters say at least two years before they own something. Like it was something like 1% of the survey respondents said they intend on owning in the immediate future. Again, without great knowledge of the background of these surveys, I feel like there's a bit of a transition, right? And this is affordability conversation. We're not going to get into affordability, but just this concept of amenities and programmatic living in apartments becoming more and more important because tenants are there for the long term, longer than they ever have been, because there's less of an opportunity for them to owning an apartment or renting an apartment is not just a stepping stone to house ownership anymore. It's kind of like where you end up. Right. And just as a result of just how expensive it is to own a, and purchase your own house or condo. And that changes the way that I think our clients, our operators and owners of apartments need to think about what they need to provide to the tenants to retain them for the long term. You know, Aaron, I had the same thought when I looked at the results and the percentages are the way they are. What I think the underlying story is someone who's renting wants condo living in an apartment building. And that they're prepared to be there most of their lives. They're not prepared to say, this is the, you're right, I'm going to get to my 20s renting. I'm going to go buy something. That home ownership is now just an optional way of living. It's not the way to live. And in Canada, as we all know, you rented until you could afford to buy a house and then you bought a house. I think that that thinking is now changing and has changed. And I think renting will be a lifestyle, no different than owning a home as a lifestyle, but they want that same living lifestyle. They want the proper programs. They want the proper facilities. They want the amenities. No different than say, I've got a new new condo that's being built with all these amenities. They want apartment living to be the same. And the mechanism on how you pay to be there is different. I own it versus renting it. But the way you live is now going to be the same. And this was very clear on this survey. Very clear on this survey. I wonder how much of this is just the affordability question, which we all know is a serious challenge, at least in sort of the Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, maybe. But I think wonder how much of this is just generational. The apartment ownership, apartment renting, apartment lifestyle does give you more flexibility, does allow for the ability just to pick up and go or do something else. It's not as expensive. If your toilet breaks or your light bulbs are out or whatever it may be, it's just a, you just call your super. You don't have to go to the hardware store to figure out how to fix it or call a handyman to come in and solve right. your problem. I, I'm just, I wonder if that's just a generational thing to a certain degree where it's just a, it is an easier, right, lifestyle. I mean, I just find it, you know, I, it might be gener- curious. It could be right? generational. I think it could be generational. But on the other hand, if I've got an app 
and there's something wrong in my washroom and I just put a work request in and I leave and it gets fixed. I don't know about you, but I'm not 20 something. I'm turning 60 something and uh, not a bad way to live. Okay. I don't have to worry about fixing my house. I don't have to worry about fixing what breaks in my home. Whether I'm 20 or 60, I think this is a great idea, right? So it goes to lifestyle and it goes to ease of living, right? I got other things I want to do regardless of my age. And I think that's the paradigm shift that's occurred. And I think that's why you got that 60, 60% of these surveys will remain renters. And that's why people are staying in rentals longer because it's not a bad way to live. And if I'm going to be in a high-rise rental, I'm going to be in a high-rise condo. Again, it's the same thing. If the amenities and the programming in those properties are equivalent, do I need to own it? Now, it's just a method of paying. Do I need to own it? Do I need that burden of a mortgage and condo fees and realty taxes versus I'm going to pay my rent and utilities and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to have the same lifestyle and the same kind of space. I think the rental industry in Canada is changing and I think it's changing for the better. And I think that the next five to 10 years, you're going to see a lifestyle change of Canadians recognizing renting as no longer stopgap, but a place to live and live yeah. their lives and, and have their families. Sorry, Otto, I'm going to jump in. I know it's your turn next, but I said Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, maybe. I mean, Montreal has always been a renter's market to begin with. Yeah, it's a been. European style. That's, so yeah, it's affordability may be an issue in Montreal, but they've always been renters because yep. of the same logic, right? So this is not a, a new phenomenon that's just starting to occur in, in Canada. This is something that's existed in many, many areas around the world. It's just it's now becoming more prevalent in, in our Canadian Toronto, Vancouver societies. I would agree. Absolutely. So I think we can move on to our next and definitely most important topic for our key takeaways. And that's the how people are financing properties in different markets and asset types, well, sub-asset types, everything under the apartment uh, umbrella. And I'm happy to report that I did get to speak on this panel. So I do know it uh, very well. And I'm glad I didn't leave it to Aaron to introduce this one. I'm sure you would have taken a cheap <laughs> shot at me. But... Uh, <laughs> It was the yeah. worst panel I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. All because of one guy. I don't know. I can't remember his name. It was brutal. To anybody who's actively engaged in financing apartments, a lot we were talking about may not be news to you, but this is not a multiple time of year occurrence for you. you know, some of the themes that uh, continue in uh, apartment finances, you know, CMHC timelines continue to be you know, quite uh, long just due to, to sheer volume. Spreads have come right back into where they were prior to COVID. And unlikely to move uh, upwards. You know, bonds are something else to watch, of course, but at least the spreads should remain pretty consistent throughout. A lot of the big players are looking a little further afield now. They were seeing some of them show up in markets they weren't in before, which then influenced, of course, valuations and cap rates and everything else that you would see in markets. And it's, yeah, on the finance side, you know, much like the equity side, there's just a wall of capital available. If you've got viable product, there's multiple places that would be more than happy to provide the funds for you. And that the kind of the negative comment around that in the panel is that maybe because of the sheer volume, that perhaps that uh, interest rates aren't accurately reflecting all the risk in those deals. But you know that that's something hard to quantify, other than just that's an opinion. And it was once endorsed by me, so <laughs> I'll say that I believe it anyway. Peter, did you get a chance to watch the debt panel? You know that was the one I missed. So you know how you have to pick and choose the ones you're watching. I happen to miss that, Adam. And I apologize for missing your 15 minutes of fame on that one. But uh, according to Aaron, I didn't miss much. But needless to say, though, I think, I mean, that's right up your business, right up what First National does. You guys live it day in and day out. 
and you probably know the issues better than anyone else knows the issues, right? And I'm glad you were able to speak. I'm glad you were able to, to provide that insight into what's happening in the markets in Canada. And I think it's going to be an interesting ride in the sense of you mentioned uh, other companies coming in and new players coming into the market. I think that's going to continue. It's an asset class that everybody likes and is growing and will continue to grow. And I think financing will always be a big part of anything that anyone does. And um, I think it's going to be interesting to see in the next few years on where that goes with CMHC and interest rates and uh, the amount of investment that's come into the country for this asset class. Yeah, well, let me be a bit of Debbie Downer. And Adam, sorry, I, I missed it too. I didn't watch it, but <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Jeez. I did. It was great. It was really well done. Uh, I'll tie this back to Benjamin Paul, who did the was one of the keynote speakers at the beginning, as he always is for these conferences. And of course, he, being the economist for the CIBC, was really focused on inflation and what's going on. And we, we've been talking about well, how do you just set up sort of a wall of capital and equity? And so how does that implicate inflation? And of course, Benjamin Tall wasn't wasn't hiding the fact that he's also concerned just with what happens. You got so much money coming into the into the marketplace in all aspects of the economy. Clearly, that's going to drive some inflation. And so how does the Bank of Canada respond? And what I thought was really interesting that he mentioned was he's been advocating directly to his Bank of Canada relationships because he meets with them regularly saying, and he called it, it was really kind of interesting. He's like, buy the insurance now. If you know there's this wall of capital coming, if you know that that's going to drive inflation, don't wait to react to it. Get ahead of it now and start to increase your interest rates really, really slowly. Because if you're going to wait for inflation to show up to be whatever it is in two years from now, and you've done nothing with interest rates, now you're all of a sudden going to have to rise interest, raise interest rates rapidly to combat inflation. Buy the insurance. That's what he said. Buy insurance. Get it going really, really slowly now, not to shock the market. So that way, when you know inflation hits in 2022 or 2023 or 2024, you've already built in a little bit of a buffer, so you're not having to be so reactionary. Oh yeah, so I'm a lender, of course. So I'm always thinking about interest rates, but there's you know one of the chief economists of a major financial institution saying, advocating to the Bank of Canada, like start raising interest rates now to combat the inflation that you know is coming in the future. Is that true? Maybe not. We could be in negative interest rates in three months from now, but it certainly would indicate today, just based on what's transpiring in the economy, that rates are going to rise. And then for anybody that's holding onto the rope as I'm talking, that also means that, of course, the cap rates have to correspondingly increase also, and then values have some sort of delay right, or stagnation. So I just think it's a really, really interesting time right now as we're coming out of the pandemic, getting back to the regular world. But there's a shift in our economy. And I think it inevitably comes with some sort of interest rate rise. It just I think it's inevitable. Mic drop? Should I drop my mic there? Just move on <laughs> to the next one. Okay, let's just keep going. I think that There's was Aaron that was great, Aaron. Yeah. I have it in front of me, so I think it's probably worth we're gonna move to the last topic before we finish here is just sort of what the operating looks like during the lockdown, just the growth and sort of creative solutions that we're seeing with all sorts of different measures. And we've actually kind of talked about it a bunch. I mean, Peter, your comment about your daughter's experience with robots dropping off packages and things, I think is really, really fascinating. So I'm going to jump just to some interesting information as a result of the, the survey, which of course is kind of sort of the underlying theme of our conversation today. And I don't think any of this is a real surprise, but I think it's just, it's material information. So part of the survey, they ask about like, what do you need to have to live in an apartment building? What are your essentials? Like you will not live there without it. And then what are the things that are nice to have? And what's the addition? The top five on that list are 
Elevator access, no surprise, right? Like nobody wants to walk up five flights of stairs. Balcony and private outdoor space. I think that's probably driven a little bit by COVID, but not surprising. I was talking to a cost consultant friend of mine who said he's you know, working on some deals that are, or some developments that are kind of early stages where they had de-balconied. So they had removed balconies, trying to cut down on costs. And now as they're getting to delivery, sorry, getting to roll out and actually start developing, they're adding the balconies back in because they realize that such a demand for balcony space for people that want to get outdoors. Soundproof walls, I don't think that's surprising. It's just the ability to keep the sound of your neighbors out. And then the other one is an abundance of natural light. Again, I don't think any of that's really surprising, but these are all in the 90 plus percentile as far as must have or need to have, right? So these are things that are just, you're basically not going to rent out your suite unless it's got a balcony, you have elevators, you have soundproof walls, and you have nice lit space. I don't think that anything is like terribly surprising. The one that I thought was really interesting, which is the last one, which is where I'm getting to, is air barriers to keep out smells, which I thought was really interesting. Now they say keep out smells, but I'm assuming that's also just if, if I know that there's air barriers, there's a protection against disease and COVID and all that kind of stuff as well. That was the only one that I think that jumped out off the page at me that I had not really ever thought about that as a must-have to rent a space. I think for me, the two that surprised were air barriers, but it does make sense, right? It does makes complete sense. And the abundance of natural light. And the abundance of natural light, I think, is a pandemic-driven thing. If I'm going to be working in my home all day long, I want the light. I don't want to be locked up in a room that's got small windows and not very light comes in. And I think that goes part and parcel with balconies. People are using their balconies. My son's you know, rental in Young and Eglinton area, and he's got a 225-square-foot balcony. He uses it as a separate room from you know beginning of May until now, till October. That's an additional room that they're using and entertaining on, and, and they like that 200 square feet, 225 square feet of balcony space as part of their unit because the units are smaller. Right. So I think that's why balconies become a lot more important. And the natural light is we've been locked up for a year, year and a half. And I'm working from home. I want that light coming in. I want to see the daylight. And I think those were the two that I thought this makes complete sense when I saw it. And at all 90 plus percent in terms of essentials and nice to have. I think on the, the air barrier front, back when Aaron had a similar role to mine, he would have been touring a lot of you know, 1960s build apartments with poor air circulation. But now he's uh, more of an ivory tower role, so he doesn't get out there much in the field. <laughs> and he's forgotten that, yeah, you do notice it in buildings that have the, you know, either older design or, or just due to age, just uh, failing design in terms of how they're circulating air. So I can see that that would be a big advantage. In terms of operations during lockdown, I think that a lot of what was implemented was already in place by a handful of practitioners. You know, the virtual tours being the first thing that people kind of had to quickly adapt to. You know, a lot of the building management that, you know, Yardi works on, I'm sure this has been, I hate to say it, but great for your business in terms of accelerating that. But it's really moved. It's really, it was really drawn a line for buildings that did not have any technological capabilities to operate their building and those that have invested in that previously. And so it would definitely pull the, the laggards in the industry up to speed a lot quicker just due to uh, necessity, if anything else. Peter, can you comment on that, what you saw in terms of people's value of, of this kind of technology in buildings over the last yeah. 18 months? You know, COVID was a game changer for us. Humbly, our business increased significantly. The activity, the amount and of products that were going out, especially in multifamily where it was lagging behind, typically in the adoption of technology, 
in May of 2020, it took off and it has not stopped yet. It just hasn't stopped yet. And I think this is the game changer. It's not going to slow down. It's not going to revert back to the way it was. This is a permanent change with the use of technology moving forward. And it's going to change not just marketing. We talk about virtual tours. We talk about good communications with tenants and applicants in the market. But it's going to evolve in a whole automation of your operations, right? The whole automation of your operations. And that's the big thing that we're seeing in addition to this, where most companies are not going to see this in a survey, but have been working on that whole automation process over the last 18 months. Virtual tours you're seeing is a requirement coming online, but it's not just that. Self-guided tours are not far behind. Well, virtual tours will be only the first step in the leasing process. A self-guided tour is where it's going to go. Adam, you want to see a building. I'm your leasing agent. You're not going to see me. You're going to be able to enter that building in a secured fashion, go to that suite, walk into that suite, view it, leave, and that will be completely automated where I, the leasing agent, will know everything you just did. And when you did it and how you did it was be able to control the access both to the building and to the units. We talk about the tenant app where you walk up to your door, you've got the app, the door unlocks, it knows it's you, right? That is the beginning of the automation for this. Right, You get whole tenant verification systems that are built in that knows who I am and will know who I am and verify who I am to be able to do these self-guided tours. So we see self-guided tours in technology taking virtual tours to a next step. And we see communications with applicants and tenants being delivered in a much different way in the future as well. Chatbots are going to be huge. Chatbots are going to be around all the time, 24-7 365, where right now it's 2 a.m. in the morning, you're calling somebody on the phone, you'll be able to go online, deal with your issue, the computers will be able to know what that issue is, respond and execute on that issue without human beings touching it. And that's the next generation. And that's what I'm saying. When we talk automation in five years from now, seven years from now, the conversation is going to be different. It's going to be much, much different than what it is today. But I think the pandemic has drawn that up in Canada and has accelerated that in Canada much faster than you've ever seen automation in this industry. Yeah, and we've touched on a bunch of different evolutions within the apartment market. And, you know, it's funny, it, it feels like it's moving slowly, but it's actually moving really, really quickly in comparison to the way that historically real estate has adopted technology. I do feel yeah. like this is something that you think about a curve, right? Like the curve is steepening as far as just the adoption rate of all this stuff. And that's driven ultimately by just the users and the experience of the users or the the expectations of the users. So I think it's a really kind of interesting time in the apartment market in particular, you know, both for the new builds and for the adoption of these in the older builds. Like it really is, will be interesting how those older units are able to keep up as these technological changes and requirements based on the user needs really change. Peter, fortunately, we're out of time. Thanks so much for doing this with us. Thanks so much for cutting an hour of your day. This is great, guys. I'm glad we're back. I'm glad we've had a chance to chat. Adam and Aaron, thank you very much. I enjoyed yeah, the conversation. Thanks. thanks. Appreciate it. No after show today for our regular listeners. This was kind of an after show of the CAIC show, so we're not going to do a podcast after show. Of course, thanks to Informa and the Real Estate Forums for setting this up and their, their partnership. And of course, thanks to First National for powering the podcast. Until next time, gents, that was a pleasure. Great conversation. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. 
First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.